Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through discarded drafts from our past. I'm your co-host, Eric Anderson. And I'm Emily Anderson. On draft this week is White Blackbird from Wild Heaven Beer Company. And while we drink our way through, we'll be working through Eric's rough draft of Of the Birds. So this beer is very interesting. Um, it is a Belgian-style saison. 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 <laughs> Saison. Saison. Which means season in French. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know who makes these decisions. Well, I would, I would assume that it's more of like a seasonal beer. Like maybe there's a particular season. That makes sense. I'm wildly yeah. extrapolating based on one vocabulary Say word. it boldly. <laughs> I believe you. Now, that's a, so this is a seasonal beer. Um According to Wild Heaven's website, and they are they're out of Avondale Estates uh, here in Georgia, so another local brew. Um, it is brewed with generous amounts of pink peppercorns to accentuate the herbal, earthy, spicy notes of this amazing yeast. Korean pears marinated in Chardonnay are added to the fermentation. The result is a host of savory flavors melding together into a wonderful new spin on a well-known style. My God, this is a bougie beer. <laughs> yeah, right. This has it has a lot. It has a lot going on here. So I that made me me wonder. So I, I know that I like Belgian beers or Belgian style, but I never really looked to see exactly what that meant. And apparently, what that means is a heavy emphasis on malts, usually ales, usually they are ales, and it's a heavy emphasis on malts and a lot of fruity yeast flavors. This style of beer is spontaneously fermented, meaning that it, the wort is open to the air, allowing any local yeasts and bacteria to take up residence in the beer. It's like the sourdough bread of beer. Interesting. Yeah. Very which, interesting. And I also love sourdough bread, so this yeah. just makes sense. We should include so, sourdough bread the next time we drink beer. Yeah. <laughs> So I was very brave in selecting this beer because I don't, I haven't really found a Saison that I'd say I enjoy yet. I haven't sipped this beer, so maybe this is the one. All right, let's, let's do let's it. Let's try it. Ready? Cheers. Cheers. Ah, how do you do that? It gets all bubbly in my throat. I almost <laughs> died. <laughs> Just leave it to the professionals, darling. Okay. Just leave it to the professionals. So what do you think? Um... It is better than most of the saisons I, we've had together. Mm -hmm. I would say, like, it's still sort of sour on the aftertaste, which is my biggest complaint about saisons. I don't like sour beer. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I can. <laughs> There's necessarily... like a style of beer called sour or yeah. like sour ale or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and it's I just a sour. Yeah, I don't. I don't like those. So this is the least sour saison <laughs> in my memory. So good job, Wild, Wild Heaven. Heaven. I don't know that I could pick pear out necessarily. No, I can't. Yeah, it just has a, a general I fruity. I also can't pick out. By the pink peppercorn. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah, but our our tastes are never as refined as the can says they should be. So. Yeah. But I, you know what else? I don't know what pink peppercorn tastes like. So maybe I'm just tasting it. And I, I feel have like no it's idea. like a newer peppercorn too. I feel like yeah. I was reading about it recently for some kind of recipe, but I can't remember anything that I was reading about. I know it. black peppercorns. <laughs> I know white peppercorns. Yeah. I don't really know pink peppercorns. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, here we are, and we're just gonna move on. Okay. From that. So. Emily, what are you thinking about right now, besides pink peppercorn? <laughs> right now, I'm thinking about 
poetic forms because um, in uh, foreshadowing, Eric's poem, is it foreshadowing if I just come straight out and tell you? You've got a hint at it <laughs> gradually. Like okay, a so this cloud. is not foreshadowing. This is just <laughs> cutting to the chase. Eric's poem that we'll be reading in a little bit, and by we, I mean he, that he will be reading in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. dramatically. Um, is is a sonnet. So I've been thinking about poetic forms, especially sonnets. I've got a bunch of information about sonnets for you guys. So I remembered being taught about two sonnet forms in high school and three in college, but when I was Googling to make sure I was giving you the correct information, I found that there are apparently, well, one source, which is the one I clicked on, said four sonnets. There was another one that said eight sonnet forms, and I thought that sounded ridiculous, and, like, we didn't have time for that. (laughs) So I thought that sounded like it was going to be way too nitpicky. So I, the first thing, honestly, that comes to my mind about sonnets is uh, my college professor, I'm going to name drop, Keisha Kuypers, um, she called them poem machines that you could just plug and chug and a poem would come out. And I've never felt that way about sonnets because I have a really hard time with the turn. There's usually some kind of turn, you know, like things take a turn or you've been working, ruminating on a problem that you resolve or conclude in the end. And I'm, I struggle with that. I'm still learning how to do that. Yeah. So Eric, what do you remember about sonnets from high school? And I'll tell you if it's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm not at all surprised that high school Eric wrote a, a sonnet or tried to write a sonnet because thinking back, most of my favorite authors that I was reading around that time were known for writing sonnets. Dante, Milton, Shakespeare. Nerd alert. (laughs) Spencer. (laughs) They were all my favorites. You read Spencer? I liked the idea of Spencer, (laughs) okay? He wrote about a fairy queen, and I always thought that was cool. I I think I read an excerpt in college. Yeah, I definitely Um, read an excerpt in college. I can't tell you what happens in it, and I think it's probably... I'm pretty sure that's where the phrase, like, Gloriana, as, like, um like another honorific for like the queen of England comes from you've lost me well i'm pretty sure that so he was writing that for queen elizabeth and i'm pretty sure that there is this character who's supposed to be queen elizabeth in the story whose name is gloriana i see so and you might remember from the uh victoria series that i've made you watch with me another costume drama i have viciously required you (laughs) to watch with me um, the, the theme song is just them singing Gloriana. It is. It is yeah. just that. And it's beautiful. Yeah. It's very haunting. Yeah. So, but I think it's, um, isn't it an Arthur tale? Isn't it a King Arthur? I have expressed all that I know. Oh, okay. I, well, yeah. I don't know. I know Gloriana's in there. I'm reasonably certain Gloriana is in there. Yeah, at one point in my life, I did know more about the Fairy Queen, but yeah. it's been replaced by other necessary information. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not one that's really stood the test of canon, the test of time yeah. canon. Well, he's, he's considered to be very important for the foundation of other writers, I believe, but it's... Yeah. It, 
unless you are studying English literature, I don't feel like his stuff gets picked up. I don't feel like people are making adaptations of no. it. Nobody is memorizing the fairy queen. Well, the spell I do remember the spelling being really weird because it was before spelling had really gotten standardized in the language, and I think just the the language is hard, even harder than Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of. That is a type of sonnet. Did you it remember is. that? I, I did. I mentioned it okay. earlier when I said... Did you? I said, my boys, my boys that I like to read. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I okay, okay. Shakespeare. Yeah. Well, so that's the first one that comes to mind when I think of a sonnet. Um, do you, without looking at my note page, can you tell me what makes a Shakespearean sonnet? So sonnets are determined, like you said, there's a certain form. So you have... Uh, and, and it's usually delineated by letters as far as the rhyme goes. So you would say A rhymes with A, B rhymes with B, C rhymes with C, and down the page. So I believe Shakespearean sonnet is A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, E. No, you skipped like four lines. So Did I? Okay. every sonnet guaranteed will have 14 lines. Um, a Shakespearean sonnet is really strict about having iambic pentameter, which I'm going to ask Eric to tell us more about in a minute because I struggle with meter. I struggle to like understand it. I internally can produce some of it when I am writing, but don't ask me to explain it. We're gonna ask the former college professor to explain it. So Shakespearean sonnet, also called the English sonnet, has four stanzas. There's three quatrains, which, you know, those are four lines, and then a couplet at the end. And the rhyme scheme is A, B, A, B, C, D, C, D, E, F, E, F, G, G. So you are correct. There is a couplet at okay. the end. You just skipped, you basically skipped a quatrain. Um, so do you think you can name any of the other four? The, you uh, mean like what is, what is a Spencerian sonnet? Like what are the types? Yeah, what are the other types? So you oh, just God, said no. Spencerian. So Spencerian, that, so when I was in school, I, in high school, I learned the English or Shakespearean sonnet and the Italian or Petrarchan sonnet. And um, the Italian sonnet is the old, eldest, oldest, it is the oldest of the sonnet <laughs> forms. And yeah, I'm going to stop there because I can't <laughs> remember any more of the words I need. Um, so the Italian sonnet has two stanzas. One is an octave or eight lines, and one is a sestet or six lines, and the rhyme scheme is A-B-B-A, A-B-B-A for the octet. Now, the sestet uh, rhyme scheme can vary. I saw C-D-E-C-D-E and C-D-C-C-D-C. So that's two. You mentioned the Spencerian sonnet. So, again, popularized and invented by, invented's not the right word, but like. Associated um, with. So this is three quatrains and a couplet, like the Shakespearean sonnet. Um, the rhyme scheme is A, B, A, B, B, C, B, C, C, D, C, D, E, E. And um, the source that I was reading said that something about this rhyme scheme puts less pressure on the poet to bring the poem to a, resolu a resolution or conclusion. So something about this rhyme scheme makes a turn less necessary yeah, or yeah. significant. Yeah, so the fourth one, which I was not taught in school, either high or college, <laughs> 
is the Miltonic Sonnet. John Milton of Paradise Lost fame. And found. <laughs> Somebody read it once. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. He wrote another one called Paradise Found. Oh, Paradise Found. Oh, just like Dante wrote. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So he follows the Petrarchan form, except he leaves out the break on the page between octave, between the octave and the sestet. And he was real militant about having a problem that was resolved by the end of the poem. And um, he, the themes that he chose for his, for his sonnets were different from the usual themes that you'd see in like the English, Italian, or Spenserian sonnets. His were far more, um, like introspective, focusing on the individual and philosophy and politics and stuff like that, instead of courtly love. (laughs) So those, those are the four sonnet forms. I want to talk about feet. Yeah. Talk about meter and feet. I'm going to talk about feet. So, uh, as Emily said, a Shakespearean sonnet or an English sonnet is going to be written in iambic pentameter. And what that means, and iambic is referring to an iamb, which is a poetic foot, and it's it's part of the meter. So there are these different feet, which are known as iambs, trochees, anapests, and dactyls. And what it means is where I'm the stress already. is... <laughs> Pay attention. I'm paying attention. Okay. <laughs> is where the stress is. So iams and trochees are both two syllables, and anapests and dactyls are both three syllables. Okay. So we'll start with iams, which is what Shakespeare was using, and which is kind of I won't say it's the most popular, but it's it's what I used to use. It's kind a of the lot. most natural, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I, I, I think so. But so it is unstressed, stressed. I go to the store and I think of you. And and this is one of the reasons that I really like playing with the the poetic feet and and the stresses is because I think poetry is already just a step closer to music and this is the music of poetry. Yeah, it's very rhythmic. It is. And even if I'm not writing poetry, I will consider these stresses as I'm writing a line. If I really want the line to land, if it's a line that is going to have significance, You've got to think about how the stress lands in the line. You, yeah. just, you just do. So that's an I am. And kind of the opposite of that, the trochee has stressed, unstressed. Tell me when you get home from the store. Da-da, 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 da-da. Instead of the I am, which is da-da, 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 da-da. Okay. okay. Those are two syllables. So then we get into the three-syllable options. Anapest, which is unstressed unstressed stressed and we know that we can't do this very it's hard to do this off the top of my head da 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 i prepped for this i on the spot in the middle of recording told him he needed to talk about meter and feet so this is all off the top of his head isn't he amazing I'm going to accentuate that and make it louder. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my amazing husband. <laughs> so, all right, all right. So that is, that is anapest, where it is too unstressed followed by a stressed. And then the opposite of that, the, the dactyl, is a stressed followed by too unstressed. Don't touch that. It will hurt. Okay. Fire, it burns. <laughs> I'm talking to my three-year-old now. I'm not just, sure how I, good those were, but thank you. But the examples <laughs> stand. It is da 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 da. So how do we? So 
let's break down then what that tells us about the rhythm of iambic pentameter. So iambic is telling us that it's unstressed, stressed. That's right. And there are going to be five of those. That's the pent and the pentameter. There are going to be five feet in the line. So, so that translates into 10 syllables. Exactly. Okay. Per line. Yeah. So every line in iambic pentameter is going to be da 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 so this is jogging a memory from my freshman university uh, English literature class where we were reading an excerpt of Edmund Spencer. I think that his sonnets, you, they had 12 syllables in the line. Whatever that he... he I think he was still using, like, iambic feet, but I don't know what you'd call with 12 syllables. Is that sestameter? Yeah. Sextameter? Se sextameter. <laughs> sextameter. Sextameter. It was either sextameter or septameter. So he either had 12 or 14. Wait, what would, what would seven be? Maybe it was like octameter. It was not pentameter. All right, we can both agree. It was not pentameter. <laughs> That's, we know no, that. No, sept sure. is, is seven, so... September used to be the seventh month of ah. the, yeah. So, and then October was the eighth month, mm -hmm. and November was the ninth month. Silly July. Yeah. Coming and messing everything up. <laughs> yeah, that, not for this podcast, but just for my own Googling before we go to bed, I'm like, how did all of that get changed we're around gonna, for the month? We're, yeah, we're <laughs> going to talk about that in what our, our next episode. <laughs> That's what we are thinking about. <laughs> Nothing to do with writing, but, um, okay. So thank you very much for walking us through pentameter and feet or meter and feet before we close off. So I have really enjoyed thinking and talking about, um, poetic form. So I think we're going to come back to this. We are going to try to highlight several different, um, poetic forms. There's a couple others that we've written in. Or that well, let's, we... let's talk for a minute. So like, let's name some of them. Well, I, I kind of wanted to talk about the choice of form versus not form. Yeah, for yeah, a second. yeah. That because, is, yes. And, and, and you write a lot of poetry. I write some poetry. And most of the poetry that I write does tend to be a little bit more form-based. Mm. I'm not going to write a sonnet every time. But I will try to come up with some kind of convention to hold to as I'm writing the poem instead of yeah. just kind of letting it go onto the page. And I guess in... One is that I'm just a nerd, and I've learned all of this stuff about poetic form, and and I know the history behind it. So it I seems wouldn't like... say you're just a nerd. I would say you're a well-trained writer. Well, yeah, but Who it's a choice. It is stuff. a it is yeah. a choice to do it, and I think yeah, it but is it's an fun. It's choice. fun to play yeah. in history yeah. like that. You yeah. know, it seems like. Well, like... I I think form form does a lot for you. It's a big powerhouse. I mean, there's a reason why name drop again. Keisha Kuipers calls sonnets poem machines. I would argue that most poetic forms are poem machines. There is something to this rigid structure, this rigid meter, even within the structure, that drives a certain rhythm. So, like, you you talk about, everybody knows the Villanelle form. You've all heard Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night by Dylan Thomas. And if you haven't heard that one, I'm sure you've heard One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. That form, the Villanelle form, 
uh, what is it? You've basically got like the same four lines or I, I don't know. In total, you've written like 12 lines and you're just switching the order of them around. And something about that, it drives you forward, but pulls you back. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good form for something that is obsessive or that you're really hyper-focused on. So if you're wanting to write a poem, if you know you want to write a poem in that theme, that's you know that that's a good form to go to. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, it's a, it's a choice. And that's yeah. kind of, what when you were deciding you want to write a poem, like one of the problems I ran into when I was writing, especially at, at this time period in high school, is I had just learned about all of these different poem forms. So I sat down and tried to write a Shakespearean sonnet. Yeah. But I had no clear purpose behind the poem there wasn't a subject yeah. matter pulling my heart like Shakespeare had stuff he wanted to talk about and then applied it to a form or I, I won't say Shakespeare I don't know what that guy did but a lot of people I feel like the best way to do it is to have a subject matter first that you then apply to a form instead of the other way around yeah I think yeah you have some kind of theme that you want to say and the form you choose the form because it lends itself well to that theme. I mean, that's kind of why the sonnet exploded when it did. I mean, it's, um, it started out as like a courtly love poetic form. And so, you know, we all know there's like a ton of Shakespearean love poems mm -hmm. that are sonnets. And there's also ones that are kind of making fun of love poems. You know, he also has sonnets that are making fun of love is what I'm trying to say. My mistress eyes are nothing like the sun. Yeah. So, the 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 form exploded because a lot of people wanted to talk about that theme and that poetic form for whatever reason lent itself well to that same thing you know the Milton sonnet he the form lent itself well to looking at a problem and trying to come up with a solution by the end yeah yeah, yeah. don't ignore poetic form don't think of it as something just to challenge yourself don't think of it as something that you've just got to get through for this hokey school writing assignment like mm. they are useful one that i'm excited to talk about in another episode is um the pantoum so an example of that if you want to do some homework before we talk about it in an episode next season Another Lullaby for Insomniacs by A.E. Stallings is a really good example. I really like that form. I've written several poems in that form, only one of which I was required to write for school. <laughs> um, I really like it, and I find it easier to achieve than the Villanelle at this moment in time for me. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that some more in some other episodes um, have we mentioned all of the, the big ones? Oh, there's Haiku, there's Limerick. And it is fun to play around. Like, yeah. It is a, a a great way just to work your writing chops mm -hmm. and just try it. I personally think it's very interesting to take one idea and then change the form. Like yes. one of my poetry professors in college... Um, Dr. Thompson, Bill Thompson, had us take... <laughs> name drop. Name drop. <laughs> had us take a piece of writing like I, i'm pretty sure we took the gettysburg address and change it into a poem oh wow yeah it was a really interesting assignment 
And I, I then maybe thought, we should do that just for fun. That would be fun. As like yeah. a, and have it as a special segment on yeah. one of our episodes. Well, we could even take take one of our short stories and turn it into a poem. Take yeah. one of our poems and turn it into a short story. Yeah. Take a poem and change it from a sonnet into a limerick. Yeah, like well, whatever. You know? Yeah, it's I like just... the idea of being like, okay, here's your subject matter. Now you've got to pick three different form poetic yeah. forms and write this as a poem in that. So we'll we'll get back to you guys on that. <laughs> yeah. We'll let you know what your um, homework is at the end of the episode. Okay, so that was wonderful. Now, before you give us the dramatic reading, Eric, tell us what you remember about this uh, poem and why you wrote it. So this was written my senior year of high school. And as I said, I was taking British Lit at this time, and it was... It was very foundational for me and really inspired me, and that's why I kind of went on to, to study English. And I was really in love with the idea of sonnets. And it was my senior year. All of us were applying to colleges, and we had um, different people making different decisions about life. And there was where I grew up. It's kind of right next to a college town. Opelika is right next to Auburn. And so half of the people from your high school wind up either going to the community college there in Opelika or going to Auburn. Um, some of them do go a little bit further, but you just kind of have this question of, I have this option. I could stay close to home or I could move out. And I was just really kind of struck by this idea because it seemed like so many people that I knew were staying really close to home. And when I wrote this, I had probably just made the decision to instead go to Troy University, which was only an hour and a half away, yeah, dear Lord. He like so far. <laughs> so far away. But it wasn't like... He didn't even cross state lines like but, I did. <laughs> but it was away, okay? I had to go to a dorm. I wasn't just staying at home. No, I wasn't yeah, staying... yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like it was very significant to me. I don't, I don't know for a fact that that is when I wrote this poem, but I know at least that these were the options I was dwelling on when I wrote this poem, which okay. is why the subject matter came up and, and the form came up. Like, both of those go together in the same way. Okay. Um, I also know that, so I submitted this to the literary magazine um, for my high school, which is called Perspectives. I worked on it. This is, I'm ashamed of this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> so I, I worked for the literary magazine on staff my junior year and loved it. So much fun. Totally like my group of people and my kind of work. Absolutely loved it. And then for some stupid reason, instead of doing it again my senior year, I didn't, and instead became a guidance aide, which meant that you I... You wanted to be able to run around the school with your friend. Well, okay, that that is what I did. And I realize now that that was probably just my friend Wes talking me into a, being a guidance aide so that he could run around the school that with me. That guy's got a lot to answer for. He's also <laughs> the one who talked me into going to Troy. So, you know, this this guy... This guy. So, yeah, and so instead of... You I'm know, very fond of Wes. I, I feel it's important that our listeners know that. We're shaking our <laughs> finger at him, but he is a dear friend. Yes. 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 He's up to shenanigans. He is. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, so that it was written because I was trying to get something published in the literary magazine and I was trying to play with poetic form and I was trying to gripe about uh, people in my high school. So that's okay. all the reasons that this was written. I would not have picked up on some of that if you hadn't told that story. <laughs> Do I need to give you time to redo your critique now? No, no the critique stands. All right. Okay. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. And now... A dramatic reading! A dramatic, dramatic reading! Dramatic reading! Yeah. <coughs> um, 
of the birds by eric anderson with what foul things these foolish ones concern that against their very nature they hide these birds worry not about fortune's turn but wish to stay as they are till they die if the shell were thus meant to be restored it would not have upon birthing split and if the bird was not destined to soar angel's glory would not be placed upon it how long shall they inside here safely nest avoiding a tempest fearing a scar in neverland they wish to take their rest if only able to stretch their wings that far they remain unchanged avoiding all spurs never wishing to leave their nest of birds thank you thank you for that uh dramatic reading well so i want to start by saying that i really liked this i'm not surprised that you were a first place poetry winner in the alabama scholastic press association individual literary magazine competition of 2006 <laughs> so that's another funny story so i came back um the year after i graduated from high school i came back to see a performance of into the woods that uh some of my friends were in okay and as i'm sitting there in the audience with my family uh it is not halftime intermission <laughs> Yeah, it was like halftime, but there's no sports going on. It's that's that's what that's what it. And out of nowhere, pops up my uh, senior English teacher, Dr. Hannah, who just like hands me an envelope, and I'm like, "Hello, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you very much." And he just kind of walks off because he's a very mysterious man. He's like a wizard, basically. <laughs> and then I I discover that you know they they took the magazine to competition every year, and oh. I had won over the summer and had graduated so i had no idea that's really so, cool he had just held on to it until uh it's all polite you're gonna see people again so was there so. like a vanity press edition then of all of those was it that kind of competition or if there was i did not receive oh, any i got a, I, I have a uh a certificate uh, yeah. well that's really cool well, yeah thank you so i just thought uh everybody needed to know that this is a first place winner I almost didn't do it because of that. I'm like, can you really change an award winner? Yes, mm. you can. I have critique. <laughs> <laughs> but it does need work. It, it does. Yeah, it so. does. So I, I will say, like, I really liked this. I'm not surprised it, it won first place. If you, had, like, as I was reading it, if you had told me that this was Shakespeare or Dunn, like, I wouldn't have questioned you that much. Like, you really... They're much better than this. Well, you captured the tone, <laughs> okay. you know? Like, okay. you, you really captured the tone, and I didn't feel like anything felt too out of place. So, but with that in mind, like, it is this very, like, ornate... Fuddy daddy's not the right word. Archaic. Um, stately, <laughs> archaic tone, you know. So, first, first critique is: Could you rewrite this with an updated tone? Could you make this more modern? Like you have successfully caught the, you know, fifteenth century sonnet tone. <laughs> Can you do it in a twenty-first century? Which is hard. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a question that I have for myself that I'm interested yeah. in playing with because the sonnet form makes me think that I'm writing in a different time period. Yeah. And so it is almost easier for me to use the these words in this tone to, to throw yeah. thus in and just, just because 
it almost fits but nobody nowadays like the point is to be read people like we all know that the point is to be read so if i want people to actually read this understand it and enjoy it i can't go throwing around these and thuses yeah exactly let's see what else did i write here um i didn't like the title you didn't like of the birds no. That was definitely another convention, which I I don't have to stick with, but yeah. I, there were several poems of the nightingale, yeah. of the sunrise. Yeah, I'm thinking about, I really like Ella Montgomery, you know, all of her stuff, so Anne of Green Gables, but one of my favorite things she writes is actually this trilogy of books about a girl named Emily Bird Starr, and who really wants to be a writer. And so she, she finally gets like a really good teacher that comes to their school and takes over teaching who is actually in a position to kind of mentor her as a writer. And so she's taken a bunch of her stuff in to show him and get like critique on. And he's like, you have got to update your titles. These are terrible. (laughs) This might work for, like, I don't know, Wordsworth or something, but you've got to pull your titles into the 19th century. That's funny. I've got to pull them out of the 17th century. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I didn't like the title. Titles have always been really hard for me. I can do a titles whole bit are on hard. titles. I'm titles so, are hard. I, I struggle with titles. I struggle with character names. Maybe we should see if we can find some kind of, um, you know, like a like a master class or something that uh, that writers have done, on, or like a workshop that we could stream that writers have done on like how to pick good titles. Yeah. I would totally be that that poet that just uses their first line as their title. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That's I just bet that's me. why a lot of them do. Especially if you're going to write 150 poems. Yeah. It's just hard to come up with yeah. a, a, a title for every single one. It's different for a novel. Like, you can try to... I'm bad at those two, but you can try to pick out... Uh, <laughs> I named uh, his latest uh, novel, she, she you did. guys. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I keep getting it wrong. <laughs> so, but a poem is so short. How like I don't know it's it's impossible for me. I'm gonna let you do this. Too. Yeah. Okay. I'll think about it. I'll Audience, about it. just find an Emily. That's it. <laughs> just find a titler. Audience, if you have a title you want to suggest, uh, go to our Instagram page. Let us know. Let's see. So I counted the syllables in all of the lines, and you do not have perfect iambic pentameter uh, in all of them. I can see. I can see that I am trying. Uh, yeah. Like the first line, with what fell things these foolish ones concerned? Like you can yeah. force the iams into it, but it's not natural. Yeah, I it's can't more... even. So I can't even speak to like the meter, but you do not have the right amount of syllables. <laughs> so you've got ten syllables, then nine syllables, then eleven, then ten, ten, then nine, then ten, then eleven, then ten, 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 eleven, ten, ten. So you got better as you went along. <laughs> I also found it interesting, so our audience listening won't pick up on this because they're not looking at it, but you've got it formatted like a Petrarchan. You know, there's an octave and then a sestet, yeah. but the rhyme scheme is that of a Shakespearean sonnet, which would just all be smushed together. I was creating Andersonian form. <laughs> this is an Anderson. That's right. This is a qualified Anderson. And I, I realize one thing that I that really stands out to me now is when I've really forced the rhyme. 
I can usually, if, if there's a word that seems forced, it's because the word that it rhymes with is something I really liked and wanted to keep. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I really liked these birds worry not about fortune's turn because fortune turning is awesome. Yeah. Um, so I had what foul things these foolish ones concern. Yeah, um, that line, just so that it would rhyme with turn. Like it was that. a bold choice to start with that line. I have a note that for the first two lines that is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I especially take exception to with what foul things. I was trying to make a pun, and I just need to get rid of the pun. Yeah. It's foul, like a bird, you see? Like foul. Oh. I think it's still not worth the Yeah, pun. it's not worth it's the not pun. Worth a pun. It's I'm not worth the pun. I'm going to get rid of it. It's but, not worth the pun but, at all. But, yeah. Um, oh, I did know, okay, so in line five, you go from, so in the first stanza, the birds are all plural, and then in the second or like the second quatrain, I guess I should say, since they're still technically in the same stanza. In the second quatrain, you suddenly go to, it's a singular shell, it's a singular bird, yeah. it's a singular angel. <laughs> um, and then in the sestet, you're back to plural. Yeah, that's true. If the shells were thus meant to be restored instead of shell, they would not have upon birthing split, and if the bird... And if birds... And if birds were not destined to soar, angels' glory... You see, I, I had to leave it singular because angels' glory would not be placed upon it, which it was only there, so it would rhyme with split. Yeah. So that is, that's something you need to change because I don't like ending a sentence with it. Yeah, well, so I would argue, I think when you're rewriting this, you can be a little more circumspect about which parts of the form you keep and which parts of the form you don't. So one... One other good thing about poetic form is that you can adhere strictly to convention or you can break it. You know, um, I think I remember from school, I'm going to talk about A.E. Stallings again because I really like her stuff. One of her volumes that we read uh, in college, she's got like various sonnets where she's breaking different parts of the poetic form in different sonnets within the same volume. So if if the rhyming isn't doing it for you, then keep to the, you know, keep to the pentam the iambic pentameter and keep yeah. to the quatrains or whatever. Anybody is going to look like, let's be honest, anybody is going to look at a poem that's a little boxy and kind of short and count the lines. And no matter what else is going on in the poem, if there are 14 lines exactly, they're going to be like, this is probably a sonnet. No matter what else yeah. is going on, they're going to be like, this is a sonnet. So you have that going for you as you rewrite this. I also uh, have here, it didn't feel like there was a turn. I'm not personally as picky about that, but like, because I have a lot of trouble writing turns. I will go on the record as saying sonnet, the sonnet is not my favorite form because the constant critique I got in school was that I hadn't I hadn't written a good turn, <laughs> which I'm bitter about. <laughs> so, but I, it is ingrained in me that there is supposed to be some kind of turn, and I... Did you intend there to be one? No, I didn't. I, did, I just completely did not intend for there to be a turn yeah. in this. Uh, I wonder, if I were to get a turn in, I'm trying to think of how I would turn it. Something that I just thought leave of. leave the nest. They'd, they'd have heard what you're saying about how they need to leave the nest and then leave the nest. Or they'd leave the nest and, like, get eaten by a snake or something. <laughs> okay, okay, that's another thing. What I was <laughs> like going... Like, they were correct to not want to leave. <laughs> what, I, 
But you see, that's that's narrative. Like this isn't narrative. This isn't a narrative form. This is just somebody talking. So I don't. I well, don't... but the point would be like, yes, you've got to leave the nest, but that doesn't mean success is sure. It just means you've got to try. Yeah. The the term that I was thinking about was saying basically, I am leaving the nest. Why did they get to stay? Mm. Kind of the I this kind of um, I know that I'm leaving. I know that I'm moving on, and I have this sadness because I am not able to stay home, and so it's very hard to see everybody else staying home, and that's yeah. possibly why I'm critiquing so much. That seems like then you'd kind of open yourself up to doing like a series of sonnets on this whole idea from different points of view, like because you could also then have a sonnet about a bird who is staying in the nest watching some other birds leaving. Yeah. You know, and how would they feel? Yeah. Yeah, I could write it. And how does the mama sitting on this nest (laughs) feel about Uh his birds not leaving? Mama bird came out. And what does the dad think? (laughs) What is the daddy bird? Dad's getting worms. Mom's like, thank God they're staying. (laughs) And dad's like, get out <laughs> now these are bird conventions people take right? care of yourself and go <laughs> they're very regressive <laughs> all right is there anything else i don't think that I mean, you want to critique about yourself <laughs> i really like like there are some parts of this that reading back again there are some ideas that i really like yeah I, um, I, I my really... favorite part is probably the idea of they want to go to neverland so they never have to grow up Going to Neverland would mean leaving, so they can't do it. Yeah. You know, it's this kind of back and forth. And the the shell, you know, you can't go back in the shell because the shell splits. When yeah, I thought that was, know. I think that was my favorite part of the poem. I was like, God, that's so good. He's so smart. Okay. I Actually, we're in a closet, mind. so she was kind of hugging <laughs> my elbow. We don't have a lot of space in here. It's a nice size closet, but not, you know. I wouldn't call it a nice size closet. It's big enough for the two of us to sit on the floor and a suitcase <laughs> and a little shoe and a rack little thing. laptop computer yeah. yeah and our blue snowball microphone so it's like a four foot by three foot <laughs> with a nook which is our tornado shelter <laughs> i tweeted a thing today this is a this closet's doing a lot of work you guys <laughs> no, I, I tweeted a thing today, and, and uh, it was here. I'm gonna just pull it up because I really like the way that I worded. Uh, and I said, until I started recording our podcast, prepping the closet meant a tornado was coming. Thus, every recording is filled with an undercurrent of mortal dread. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that way. It's very exciting. Although I also, because um, I had a wait. Do we have a Twitter account for our podcast? No, this is my own personal Twitter account. Oh. I mean, we can. Have a, I don't know. We'll think about it. Yeah, we'll think about like it. It's like a lot. Yeah. So filled with hard. scum of Twitter is hard. Hive and villainy. Wait, that's yeah. no, wait. Hive of scum and villainy. Yeah. yeah. Hive of scum and villainy. Hive scum yeah. of hive and villainy. Yeah. Hey oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not here. Not now. <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast, Emily. I don't know why that was your response. I don't know. Okay. Right. Um, okay. I'd love to keep talking, but my glass is empty and my brain is full. Thank you for sharing your rough draft today, and I look forward to hearing it again on Open Mic Night. 
Dear listener, if you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this Rough Draft, you can find us on Instagram as Diamonds in the Rough Draft or by email at diamondroughdraftpod at gmail.com. If you or someone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, please reach out. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or Gail Carriger, please reach out quickly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diamonds in the Rough Draft. This is Emily Anderson. I'm writing a bunch of children's books. If you want a bunch of children's books, whether you be a publisher or a writing agent, uh, please contact me. And this is Eric Anderson, and I have written a contemporary fantasy novel called The Boy Who Shook the Hawthorne Tree about a college freshman who discovers the wizard Merlin living in a hawthorne tree next to his rental house. If you are a writer's agent or a publisher... Please reach out. <laughs> or a reader or a whatever. If yeah. you're a human and just want to reach out. No, I'm looking for the people uh, who are going to bring us the people big People with bus. money. People <laughs> with money only. Poor people, no. Just don't do it. We love you and no matter your, you. your wealth. <laughs> but we don't need you right but, now. But we'd like to get published. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Have a great time and don't edit under the influence. All works read in the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations and any resemblance to actual events, places, or persons living or dead is entirely coincidental.